Hello, and welcome to this episode of the podcast. I'm your host, Dave, and I am here with Kevin Lappy. Kevin is a research product manager at Amazon Web Services, someone I work with and have worked with over the past year and does a very interesting, unique role that I think all of you would love to hear about. And that role is around looking into developers. And the way I look at it, and Kevin, you can correct me, is it's kind of like we do a really bad job of collecting feedback from developers and problems. And we have engineering teams. And how do we connect all of that together across UX? You are, you are doing that work every day. So Thank you for coming on the podcast today. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Dave. Happy to be here. So I like to I always like to ask guests a little bit of the background. People can get to know you. You know, what where did the passion come for this for this kind of role? And you've kind of created this really unique role that I love that's bringing this value. So let's hear a little bit about Kevin. How did you start out? Where was your beginnings of seeing cloud and developers and all this stuff. Excellent. Uh, absolutely. Um, so my start, I mean, cloud journey actually started pre-cloud is kind of how I summarize that. I actually worked in retail for a number of years. I worked for a couple of domestic companies and then an international retail company in Japan. Um, and I started to see that how we scale these businesses out was really around automating our processes, whether it be ordering, supply chain, inbound receiving, kind of all the nuts and the bolts of a retail business. And I got a real interest in starting to understand how these complex global supply chains came together. So I actually yeah. took a turn for a few years and got into consulting. And I actually worked in nuclear and offshore drilling and pipeline consulting specifically. So the oh, energy wow. space. Were yeah, you like I on have, drilling uh, rigs? Did you go and visit like drilling rigs and stuff like that? I or did was actually visit one there? drilling rig and it was fascinating. We were doing, a, it was generally ERP, so enterprise resource planning, which are kind of like your IT systems for supply chain and finance. Um, and the reason right. we had to do it is when we were doing a deployment, the, the only way to deploy to this rig was either via a very slow satellite process where it just dripped out the data over the course of weeks so you could then run the package and install the, the code. Um, but also yeah. we had to fly it out there on a flash drive. So it flew out on a helicopter ah. on a flash drive <laughs> and was delivered to be installed. And this happened in about, I think at the time, it was about 15 rigs around the world simultaneously wow. had this upload process. Wow. Yeah. So I, I got my start there and uh, it was a really interesting time because I started to see that you know a lot of this non-cloud work, as I would describe it, was really the bottleneck towards progress and being able to drive better outcomes for you know the end users of the software. So um, out of that consulting job, I actually got my, my start in product management. So kind of a non-traditional way to get there. I didn't go the MBA route, um, kind of went the understanding. Right. Around people, um, and I joined Capital One. And Capital One, as I'm sure some of you are aware, is um, one of AWS's first financial services partners to go all in on the cloud. And I actually joined their journey very early in, in about 2015, um, working in the private label credit card space. So I started to get exposure to how technology impacts humans from the lens of money. And when you start to think about right. how money impacts your day to day, it, it is perhaps the single most important issue for many households and many families. And building experiences that meet the expectations of those households is critical. And I really started to see that um, design and human-centered design and design thinking, a lot of these tools that we, we hear about at AWS are, are really how you understand what the customer pain point is, and more importantly, right. how you understand what pain points should be prioritized for you to solve. Um, so it was a great exposure to kind of the nuts and the bolts of product management. And from there, I took a turn through the startup world. Um, I worked at a crypto startup uh, that basically built a, a hedge fund in your pocket is how we branded it. So taking actively traded, traded strategies that are generally only available to accredited investors uh, and building those out so that uh, everyday people who want to buy crypto and trade it in an intelligent way can, can do that. And we built out an app and launched it and it was a very exciting space. Um, and from there, I transitioned over to a blood testing startup 
And that was a, a great opportunity to start to see the healthcare space and how, I guess, in some yeah. senses, technology has a long way to go in that industry to be able to deliver on the promise of the cloud. Um, but it was great. And I think, you know, the question here is like, why AWS? What attracted me to developer tools specifically? And it was those two startup experiences combined with Capital One, where I really started to see that the biggest challenges that teams, service teams, feature teams, however they're phrased, have are getting things to production in ways that don't require them to have a ton of manual interventions or a giant QA team running a bunch of front-end tests. And so I, I identified this opportunity with AWS, um, went through the interview process, as I'm sure everyone's aware of the loop. Um, but the fun part about the loop was I actually got to design my own job and working with who is now my, my manager, we really started to see that my experience doing customer research, user experience research, market research, and ultimately really being able to bring those things together using quant and qual data to create a big story, a compelling story, is really what was missing in the DevTools org. And so I had a great opportunity to design the job as the, what is the first research product manager in the developer tools org. Um, so going on uh, just about for about two years here, it's been great. Yeah, I I always laugh like, uh, it, here's a Silicon Valley uh, joke, you know, it's you're like the Jared Dunn in this org when you're like, you're coming in and you're breaking up the fights between Gilfoy and Dinesh. Like, <laughs> I, and I always laugh when I think about it, but that's basically it. Like, there are still teams, you know, within, it's, and it's everywhere where it really can benefit from process of understanding like what's actually going on. What are we trying to build? What's the big picture here? How do we automate processes? You know, um, really like it's a green fields area. And, and how do we make sure, like, what's the importance of automation in this and actually getting products out and actually making sure that that product is relevant? I know when, um, when I first started and you had, we were, we were in a meeting and we were talking and you sent me like this doc and it was the first time I saw this doc because, you know, working for big tech companies for a while, it depends on the company. Like some companies focus more on personas. So they're like, here's this persona. I'm Dave and I'm an enterprise developer and I do backend and I do this. And then there's Janet and Janet does this, you know, and it's like, and then you build entire products over that. Yours was the first doc that I saw. And I don't know if you remember this doc, but it did not only did it have personas in, it actually had like self-identifying areas within the industry that people say that they're in, what they're actually doing. And that went everything across DevOps and DevSecOps and app dev and engineering and architecture. And it's like, it reminded me of, you know, years ago when I wouldn't say I was a developer, I would say an architect because I'd get more salary, you know, like th th those kind of <laughs> things. So why don't you talk a little bit about that? Now you're, now you're at a AWS. What is the role that you've created now? Uh, and, and how do you view bringing those teams together? Absolutely. Uh, I view the role that I have as research product manager is joining together what are essentially existing functions with AWS. So customer research, looking at a competitive landscape, looking at preference and um, adoption of cloud services. And define customer providers. research too. For developers that are listening, may not have customer research at, maybe they have a UX designer or something like that. Like what is the difference between these different categories? It's a great question. And I think, you know, it's, it's one of those, I can, in my product management, it depends. It depends on the question that you're trying to answer. Um, and I think right. ultimately that's where I have stepped into AWS and the developer tools org and tried to push the bar and raise it is really asking better questions and prioritizing the right questions. And so out of that, there's a number of ways that researching your customers can be done. And I think some of the more probably known ways are usability testing, putting a concept in front of someone, asking them to complete a job and observing them. 
all the way up to what is the foundational two to five year view of where the industry is going? What are the capabilities that are needed? What are the pain points that are present that may not be fully surfaced in conversations right now? And so my focus is on kind of moving towards the two to four year view to start to understand where are the opportunities for AWS to build solutions for developers in 2023, 2024 and beyond. And what I advocate for is a mixed methods approach where we really emphasize bringing together quant data and examining the tools that are used, the satisfaction with those tools, the pain points that those tools may present in a total tool chain, and combining those with the anecdotes that are collected from actual developers. So talking to them about the tools they use and starting to understand the challenges and the pain points that they do have. And I believe that doc that you're referencing is, is the first attempt that in the org, we, we, we did a research project using what's called the jobs to be done analysis. And right. so in the CICD space, there's hundreds of jobs, arguably, but we narrowed it down somehow to the list of the top 65 tasks that developers need to complete to right. basically take code from an idea out to uh, production. And obviously, I'll recognize there's all kinds of my bias in that list and getting it tailored down. There was a lot of things that should have been in there. But what this right. analysis enables us to do is basically measure developer pain across these tool chains to create an understanding and a mental model of where AWS should be investing to solve them. And I think in your opening, you kind of talked a little bit about um, some of the pain points that AWS has. And I think what we've realized in the two years I've been here is that, and it's not a surprise to anybody, is we ship our org over and over again. We have service teams that compete to build the best idea, the fastest, and get it to market. And I think a lot of times that's great. But what my research has shown me in the last two years is that developers aren't necessarily looking for you to give them a box of tools. They want a, a 3D printer where you can just put it in design and it prints a little widget and then the code's ready to go. As we start to see right. this mental shift around building things that solve jobs, this is really where the opportunity is in the cloud services space is to build those experiences that aren't necessarily service-based, they're outcome-based. What is the outcome of AWS's customers and what are they intending to build for their customers is where I've been attempting to push the conversation the past two years. Now, you said a couple things in there. So one, you said Quan data. How do you define Quan data? Is that what we're used to in usability research where we're actually analyzing the tools themselves and how they're getting used every day? Yeah, interesting question. Um, it's not so much usability. Usability has some sense of quant data to it. Uh, they're just smaller sample sizes. And I think if I go okay. back to just like Nielsen Norman's group talks about, you know, five people tell you a problem, there's a 90% certainty that you have a problem. Quant data nice. in this sense is collecting data at scale, both from usage of our services, anecdotes, and categorizing those anecdotes from our services, as well as looking external to our customer base to look at the broader developer uh, economy, we'll call it, to see across broad sets of data, so thousands of developers, what are the trends and the pain points that start to surface when asked a standardized set of questions? Um, the reason that I believe combining these two is most powerful, it, it has to do with AWS's culture. We love docs, we love anecdotes, but we trust the data that supports the anecdotes. And so really the mechanisms that I've stood up here within AWS are meant to help uh, product uh, managers, software development managers make faster, better insights using a richer set of data that has the proper context of qualitative and quantitative, um, I guess, force behind it. You know, as, as someone who's spent their career in advocacy, I've seen firsthand the double-edged sword that is anecdotes, right? I've been, especially at Amazon, where I, I'll hear the same thing over and over again. Like I will get questions on Twitter, I'll get emails, I'll see things at events, and you get a sense, a pulse, and it's the most common question. I mean, any developer advocate will tell you this. The, the most frustrating thing is when you get asked, well, what does developers think, right? Because you're getting hit with, you, you're, you're hearing all this kind of feedback, both good and bad. But what you talked about with 
quant data is how do I, how can I actually show that to be true in a, an actual analytical form? And I've often struggled with that. I'll give you um, an example where I found it actually worked, where it brought two areas together. So this goes back early um, 2013, 2014 in Amazon App Store. So at the time, we had an Android app that people could download and run Android phones from uh, Android phones, Android apps from Amazon. So Amazon would look at them, certify it, it's safe. Uh, and usually the pricing was a lot better than they would find in other app stores. You know, this is kind of before Google Play became the, you know, the store to go to. There was so many different Android app stores you can get back then. Uh, and then we moved with Kindle into, into Fire OS and they had the ability to run a, a, on these type of devices too. And so um, at the time, you know, it was like a PM and me. Uh, and then we slowly, I think we got up to like two or three advocates. And the whole idea was how do we tell interest from developers? You know, you could see submissions to the portal. That was one metric. But the teams were like, if you all go out and you do a hackathon, or if you all go out and you hear different things and you actually drive traffic, how do you measure that? And, you know, to the team's credit, we, the first thing we said was it's too difficult to upload. You know, it's too difficult to get your APK in. And the team actually changed the entire portal that when you would go to it, when you would look for, I don't know what the portal looks like today, but when you would go to, it could be on any device, it was literally a button that said, upload your APK. You didn't even have to register as a developer. It was the sweetest thing. Like you would just go there, hit the page, hit the button, go to whatever file manager you had on Android. And it would tell you if there was anything additional you need to do, and then there was a button there that just said, boom, submit. And then you could have your Android applications in front of Amazon customers. And so what, what we actually did was we started taking links based on the geography we're in, the time of day we were in, if it was a talk, if we were tweeting. And lo and behold, we actually, once we started tracking this, found out that over half of the traffic to the portal that we're submitting were coming from advocates. And that's complete. You know, it's complete anecdotal data, but it was a way to actually combine something that a PM on an engineering team could say, you know, we need to continue to invest here because if we just have a portal, we find that developers get lost. But if we actually have an event and we actually have a human being talk to them, we actually see a 50% upload uh, uplift for the week. And we would see that. Like there were times we wouldn't do anything and you would literally see the numbers drop. Do, do you have like examples of moving between that and, and tying anecdotes into other things that have brought value to companies and, and PMs uh, for products? Because I, I feel like that's when the light bulb goes off. They go, oh, okay, yeah, this isn't just numbers on a sheet. <laughs> I'm actually seeing some of those anecdotes. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's an interesting question. From a research perspective, it's not so much inbound uh, signals at this point with DevTools. I think you've kind of identified what is a major opportunity we have, which is to start thinking about how do we categorize and qualify a lot of these anecdotes that have coming in. I'd like to describe AWS as a company that has hundreds of fire hoses that you're all expected to drink from simultaneously. And the real right. challenge is narrowing that down to one and getting a curated set of information in front of the decision makers so that they can move forward. But I think to your point around like how did we how do we operate using qual and quant data to start to understand this? I, I kind of have a backwards story here. We we did some research earlier this year uh, in 2021 um, that looked at how uh, infrastructure teams are set up. And so basically how are infrastructure practices being rolled out? How are AWS services being consumed with both our internal services and external services? 
And what we really started to see is this hypothesis around like central teams are coming back in fashion. So like centers of excellence of what they've been historically called um, that manage the infrastructure process. And so these quant data only gave us part of the story. We saw like 30% of companies identified as having a center of excellence, 30 identified as having a central team and another 10 identified as having some other, you know, synonym of central. But we're left with just kind of that quant data going, what does this mean? And so we right. took a, an opportunity to really explore this and went out and talked to about 20 of our customers and just started to ask them, how are you managing your infrastructure teams? How is infrastructure working with your app developers? And are you closing the gap between the two of these to ultimately enable more independent federated app development? And what we discovered is that 30, 30, and 10 I just referenced was really just kind of one flavor of central, which is we're managing governance, we're managing compliance, and we're putting guardrails on our application to make sure that application teams who write the code are operating in a safe and secure way. But I think the the key thing with research here is like the quant data only told us that there's something interesting there, but it's really about going and getting the anecdotes and saying, why is this interesting? What is the context in which this, this data is presented to us? How do teams operate with it? And ultimately, what does this mean for AWS? Like where is the opportunity for us to build better services or experiences for our customers? Um, but these things can't happen in isolation. I think this is one of the things I find most interesting about research is that you can't index on usability or quant or qualitative research alone. You really have to look at them as a set of triangulations that show you where truth may lie. And so from my perspective right. as a researcher, I'm here to highlight where I think truth is. And then I work with the service owners who know their customers inside and out, who know their services inside and out to really dive into, does this check out? Does this confirm your bias? Does this break your bias? Because ultimately, when you think about this from a bias perspective, this enables those decision makers to do two things. One either disprove that they're, they're, what they think about their space is true and change their thinking, or two, give them the data they need to have certainty about their, their mental models or what they think the problems are so they can move forward. So I've been thinking a lot about this lately. You, you talked a little bit about centralization. Just in the entire developer space, what does it mean to truly have ownership instead of having something be entirely centralized by committee, to really have something decentralized where ideas can bubble up in, in two years of doing this, what have you seen works? Like if there's a startup that's listening to this and maybe it's like three developers, obviously it's going to work very differently than a large organization that may have some kind of centralized UX research team that may have a centralized reporting. Where have you found that this works best? Is it like, do individual, should individual teams be the ones that close the gap between operators and the actual developers? Or is this an overall arcing thing that happens across companies within their their customers? Where do you see this kind of fitting? Like, where are those solutions in that kind of moving up and down the chain? Interesting question. Um, I think the commonality between startups all the way through enterprises is the need for patterns that, I, I don't know if this is the right word, but decomplexify <laughs> Right. Um, what are cloud services? Because we have a lot of tools to be used, and especially from a startup's perspective, knowing what tools, how to combine them in a way that ultimately drives the outcome that they have in mind for their business. Like these are the challenges that these companies face over and over again. Enterprises have this, and what they've done to solve it in a lot of instances is build these central teams that you touched on that basically say of the catalog of services that are available from a cloud service provider, AWS included, um, what are we going to open up and enable our teams to use? But still, that leaves the question of like, how should they be used? And so really, the teams that are successful are the teams that have strong vision and leadership around how to piece together 
their backend architectures relative to their app developers relative to their operators and really understanding the opinionated view of what should be built. Not only, sorry, not only what should be built, but how it should be built. How is it going to be secure? How do we control cost in the cloud? How do we control our uptime and reliability and latency and kind of all the things that they're worried about for their customers are best accomplished when there's a centralized view of like, let's start here and scale. And what happens over time is then you start to see these, for lack of a better word, pattern libraries develop wherein teams that are using them then contribute back to them. And you start to build these kind of internal knowledge hubs within every company where they're experimenting, they're running proof of concepts, they're making a lot of mistakes. But the ones that are most successful are the ones that then go back and make something out of that that's standardized, that can be scaled, that a team can then go pick up and modify to its own liking. And I don't think that there's any size company, I don't think anybody's really solved it. It really is just an attitude of exploration and wanting to be right. curious. Teams that expect, you know, uh, thing to just work are the ones that are never going to be happy. The developers are going to leave and you're not going to have any you know, success there. But really what it comes down to is how do you enable a vision for success using cloud services that allows them to not have to worry about what they're using and worry about how they need to use these things to solve the problems that they're tasked with. May, so a, a question for you, and I always love asking this. Uh, so hopefully this doesn't put you on the spot. If you had unlimited money, like I went to you and I said, it doesn't matter the cost. What do you? What would you do more of tomorrow that you wish you had today? Ooh, the magic wand question. Oh, uh, me personally, Is that magic I, wand? I, I like the magic wand. It's always the bane of research. I'll have to say the magic wand question is kind of how we close our research sessions a lot of times. Um, right. But I, I'll gladly, I'll gladly take it. Um, so when we think about it, I, I think it is not a matter of tooling. If it's an unlimited money, you know, question here and time and opportunity, it's about educating around the culture of development and educating on the culture of right. working backwards from your customers. Something that Amazon does very well, I think is what a lot of our customers would benefit from as they're starting up and really helping them understand what does it mean to work backwards from your customer? And then translating that to like the technical requirements that are needed to deliver on that. And that's something that you know I, I find particularly unique about my background in product management is you're forced to do this. Successful product managers are the ones that work backwards from their customers first. They're the ones who identify the most impactful problems and the ones that are also you know, achievable. How do we deliver these things today? But I think product managers are often the arbiters of culture in organizations. And I'd like to see that spread out across all of the roles in the function. So how do you build change from the ground up by enabling teams to understand DevOps culture, understand the tools that are available to them, understand the patterns that are most successful, and ultimately allow developers that maybe not even be in the same company or the same industry to learn from each other's mistakes so they can build better, more shiny things that solve better problems for their customers. I love it. I think that's a that's a great place to end it. Where can people find you online? Is there any links where they can get additional information? Uh, maybe some customer research and stuff that comes from AWS. Is there anything like Oh, yeah, there's two things. Um, internal AWS, we have what's called the Customer Council. Uh, and I would suggest that if anybody's interested in engaging in the research process with AWS and helping us shape the, the future of what these services will look like, um, please feel free to go there and sign up. Um, the second is personally, please feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. Uh, send me a message. I'd love to talk about your problems, your challenges. If you think there's some synergy here uh, with what your companies are doing, your businesses, um, I'm always open for a coffee chat. Uh, and be happy to uh, meet anybody local to the Seattle area or you know, jump on a call anytime. I love it. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. This was great. All right. Thanks, Dave.